Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, October 10th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Callan Walker. Today on the show, the alliance between Nissan and Renault is at a crossroads. Audi considers its first U.S. factory amid new EV tax credits. And Carvana has another license suspended, this time in Michigan. Plus, at least one engineer says hydrogen technology will make a big impact on the industry sooner than many people realize. I always tell people that my position wouldn't exist in a tier one automotive company as a chief engineer if we weren't gearing up for real production. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Renault is in talks that could lead to the automaker reducing its $6 billion stake in Nissan. That's as the partners bargain over the French company's plan to split its EV and combustion engine assets. Executives have discussed Renault's carve-out plan and reshaping the pair's two-decade-old alliance since February during meetings in France and Japan. Today, Renault and Nissan confirmed that they are holding talks over their partnership, but they did not provide many details. The automakers say they're discussing the future of their alliance, adding that Nissan is considering investing in Renault's future electric vehicle unit. And new EV tax credits in the Inflation Reduction Act have Volkswagen Group taking a hard look at expanding its manufacturing footprint in North America. That footprint could include Audi's first plant in the U.S. In an exclusive interview, Audi's head of technical development, Oliver Hoffman, says the new rules, quote, will have a huge impact on our strategy here in North America. Audi's only North American assembly plant is in San Jose, Chiapa, Mexico, where it builds the Q5 crossover. Hoffman suggests that a decision on expanding Audi's EV production to North America could come early next year. Wholesale used vehicle prices fell once again in September as high prices continue to ease back toward normal. Cox Automotive says wholesale prices declined 3% in September compared with August. Cox reported prices were 0.1% lower in September than the same time last year. It's the first time since May 2020 that wholesale values declined year over year. Those numbers are adjusted for mix, mileage, and seasonality. And Carvana is once again in regulatory hot water, this time in Michigan. The Michigan Department of State suspended its license on Friday for repeated violations covering titles, registrations, and odometers. The state says it discovered the violations during an investigation of multiple no-title complaints from consumers. A Carvana spokesperson said the state's action represents a gross regulatory overreach that illegally harms the company and Michigan residents. Carvana faces similar scrutiny in Illinois. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, do you think Renault and Nissan can salvage this relationship? You know, it seems like they might be able to. These companies and Mitsubishi, their other partner, had all kind of gone their separate ways, weren't really doing much together. But this could be the step toward really getting to functioning as a joint unit, as a as a real joint venture again. Maybe Nissan invests into Renault's EV technologies and Renault dials back some of their uh, control over Nissan. Maybe they can get more on equal footing and work together more as true collaborators. Interesting. Uh, coming up, EVs are getting all the attention lately, but could hydrogen soon become another transformative power source for the auto industry? 
We'll hear from Forcia Clean Mobility's Chief Engineer for Hydrogen Storage next on Daily Drive. Hi, I'm Pete Bigelow, host of Shift, a podcast about mobility from Automotive News. Each week, I bring you a conversation with leaders who are on the cutting edge of transportation, like this one with consultant and strategist Salika Josiah Talbot. The technologists are forcing themselves in a space that they shouldn't be. And I think the social scientists and politicians are falling down on the job. To hear more about the new technology and policy reshaping the way people and goods move around, join me on Shift. New episodes each Sunday on autonews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. While automakers continue to make big investments in battery technology and electric vehicles, hydrogen may still have a future in the industry's zero emissions transformation. In fact, some engineers and executives still see hydrogen playing a leading role in the future of the industry, especially for semis and work trucks. I recently caught up with Tarek Abdelbasset, Chief Engineer of Hydrogen Storage for Forcia Clean Mobility, a unit of Forvia. He tells me that hydrogen technology is closer to production than many people probably realize. I caught up with him after he spoke in a panel discussion arranged by the Automotive Press Association in a suburb of Detroit. Tarek Abdelbasset, welcome to Daily Drive. Oh, well, thank you. I have read before. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in your work, you've been working on hydrogen uh, for a while, and it's been a technology that's been a long time coming. It's very complicated, especially to put into vehicles that are going to travel at tens or you know tens of miles an hour uh, across great distances. What excites you about what's happening in hydrogen now? After 20 years of being in this and watching this start from kind of an R&D phase, that it's, it's truly becoming a commercially ready technology. I always tell people that my position wouldn't exist um, in a tier one automotive company as a chief engineer if, if, if we weren't gearing up for real production. So kind of just uh, I tell people that uh, that are skeptical that it's real, um, that the, the, the mere existence of my position means it's got to be true at this point. <laughs> Well, I don't doubt the reality of, of your existence and your being here, but I think for a lot of people in the auto industry, you know, there have been so few hydrogen vehicles in the market, you know, really only in California, very limited distribution. And even that has been almost zeroed out in the current, you know, low chip environment, uh, high demand vehicle scarcity environment. Um, but it sounds like there are some very serious things going on. Uh, like you said, around the work that you're doing. You're working on setting up operations around the country. You're you're still kind of just in the scouting uh, process of that so far, but tell the audience what you're working on. Yeah, so so our particular group uh, will be focusing on setting up our footprint for North America. So a lot of our technology right now, the key core group is, is out of France uh, that are developing and building the systems. And so our job is to translate that over to, to North America and handle the North American market, obviously adapt the product for North America, but also set up the footprint for manufacturing and development and, uh, and the entire supply chain. So our job is to translate what's happening in Europe over to North America. You're not doing that just for the Toyota Mirai and uh, a couple of uh, Hyundai vehicles. This is probably mostly geared, geared around heavy trucks, uh, big big haulers. Yeah, so the initial beachhead is definitely, uh, we, we see the trend in, in, like you say, class eight heavy uh, commercial type vehicles, I think is where the, the first applications are going to be. And, and we're indeed seeing a lot of that activity right now. Uh, but we also are setting up uh, a container business, so a stationary business. We see along with that a lot of demand for 
creating the fueling infrastructure and there'll be need for tanks there. So, so we have a parallel organization happening with that. And, and, and we're also somewhat agnostic uh, in terms of uh, the different fuel applications. So we will also be working on liquid hydrogen. And so while the initial application is for sure kind of the, the heavy duty vehicle, we do see other applications uh, following quickly. Do you make the fuel cell stacks or you're, you're in fuel storage, right? We're, so you're, you're more of the, the supporting ecosystem for the vehicles. Yeah. So, so we're the, you know, the, the you know, what was the gas tank before? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're the hydrogen storage tank in the system. Within the vehicle. Within the vehicle. Gotcha. Right. We have a partner company, our JV with Symbio in, in Michelin. Uh, Symbio makes the fuel cell side of it. So, so they are a JV with us and for SIA. Uh, but our group, our in particular, our focus is, is is on the hydrogen storage system. So the tank and everything that goes with that tank, all the plumbing and the framing and the uh, controls and wiring, anything that goes with that whole system, we're responsible. We make the tank and everything else that goes around it. You talked about, in this panel discussion, you talked about the need for infrastructure. Tell me what you mean by that. Are you talking about the the fueling stations, are you talking about, you know, big factories to produce large quantities of hydrogen? What is it that, that you feel is really needed? So, so the main thing, at least from a public facing perspective, is, is those stations, right? We, we need more stations concentrated in, in areas where you can create that critical mass, where you can get customers, uh, particularly fleet customers, comfortable and moving around that region you know, without the fear of running out of fuel, for example. So a lot of the activity that you're seeing, say, with the, the, the hydrogen hub activity that's happening right now, is, is every region is trying to figure out where to put those, strategically put those stations first in, in every region, what, what meets the needs of that particular region. And, and, you know, what are the first couple dozen or a couple of hundred stations look like? Where is it strategically beneficial to put those stations? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so right now, obviously, there's been a lot of activity, you know, around California, but not, you know, a lot of activity in the rest of the country. So I think right now what you're seeing is a lot of the lessons learned from California are translating over to the rest of the country and all of these hubs. So, you know, we're working in a, a Midwest hub, you know, so we're, we're working with Ruben Sarkar and team and trying to figure out, you know, where to put the key stations in, say, you know, uh, southeastern Michigan, mm-hmm. right, to, to, to get those initial customers comfortable. Yeah. I mean, the, the fear is real. I've driven fuel cell cars in California, and if you're along the coast, there's plenty of places, you know, San Diego and Los Angeles, but if you try to go into the desert, you can quickly run out of station right, <laughs> and run yeah. out of range. Um, but of course, you're talking really about fleet customers who are going to be running very predictable routes with uh, big investments in their trucks. Yeah. So initially, most of the customers will be what we call captive fleet customers. So so you know that vehicle is coming home to a, a home base of some kind and it's a predictable route. Whether it's cross country or coming home to a base, you, you know that route's predictable. So one station can serve that truck well, all right? So, so that's, I think, where you're going to see a lot of the initial investments. And that's why I think, you know, bringing, you know, collaborations are important and being able to bring that whole solution, not only are you bringing the vehicle, but you got to bring that fueling uh, solution to the party to, you know, get that sale, to, to get it to happen. And then you also talked about distributing hydrogen fuel, not just where you have a big, you know, tank in the ground that's going to serve a thousand vehicles a day, but a a more of a micro distribution. Yeah, something that virtual pipelines is kind of of a new catchphrase. And and the idea there is, yeah, you're you're moving a a trailer full of of, of hydrogen. And so you're taking a bank of tanks, you know, and, and you're moving that to a particular location. Um, so you can have a, a, a smaller modular station um, right at the point of use where you think the, the, the vehicles will be. 
Um, and, and the nice thing about it is, is it's uh, being modular, it, it, it's much cheaper and you can scale it as the demand grows. So a lot of these fleets are maybe are, are starting off with a handful of vehicles, mm-hmm. trying them out. And if, they, uh, if they're happy with the performance, then they may want to scale. So, so those kind of solutions, instead of investing in that one really big expensive station that's meant to serve a thousand vehicles, hey, we can scale the, the infrastructure with your growth. We can grow with, with the, the fleet growth. Very cool. So we uh, talked a little, there was some discussion in the, in the panel about electrolysis. And I've, I've heard it said, right, if we could capture all the electricity that, uh, that the wind turbines don't get to keep in their batteries, the excess energy they throw off, we could power like all the cars in California through uh, electrolysis. But of course, that's easier said than done. Uh, what, what is really happening with electrolysis to get us the, that cleanest seemingly cleanest form of hydrogen. Yeah, so exactly. And, and you're right about kind of, you know, the renewables, there's no shortage of renewable energy. There's just a shortage of being able to store that energy <laughs> and get it to you when you need it. Right. So this is where electrolysis and hydrogen are going to play a good role. Um, what we've seen in the last particularly five, 10 years is a, a new type of electrolyzer. Electrolysis as a technology itself is very old, but what we've lacked is, is having one, an electrolyzer that worked well with say these wind and solar power. And, and when the wind, you know, wind and solar are very erratic sources of, of, of electricity, right? The wind's not always blowing, the sun's not always shining. So you need an electrolyzer that can turn on and off as quickly as the wind and the sun can turn on and off. And that's what we were lacking in the past. And that's why there was always that mismatch. Even though there was a lot of wind available and a lot of energy available, hey, we couldn't capture it in time. Mm-hmm. So where there's been a ton of progress is now we have electrolyzers that can move as quick as these sources and can capture that energy. And they've really done a good job of hammering down the cost on these technologies to the point now where you're really seeing, you know, we're getting beyond pilot scale electrolyzer plants into, you know, gigawatt factories of electrolyzer plants globally now. And, and, and it feels like every couple of months there is a, a new announcement of a new electrolyzer factory, now the, now the largest. This one will outdo <laughs> the last one from six months ago. And they're, they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper to the point where they're significant contributors to the whole electric grid now. It seems like it's just a fascinating concept to think that our, our power system can be sort of symbiotic with the water cycle. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and it's, a, it's supply chain. It's ultimately supply chain. It's just, you know, what... The problem with electricity is it's the most just-in-time commodity on the planet. It doesn't like to store well. And so anybody that can figure out how to store electricity in big amounts um, is going to make a huge impact on the ability to enable renewable fuels. Because what's already an erratic uh, supply chain for electricity is potentially exasperated by wind and solar and renewables. So so being able to buffer, being, being able to be that inventory of electricity is going to be critical, whoever can figure that out. So that's where we see a big role for hydrogen. Um, and having that electrolyzer to be able to convert that energy was a critical pin, right, in, in the chain. So so now that those technologies are, are have come down and cost dramatically, as well as sun and solar, you know, so they got guys working on the other end. Now that those technologies have all come down in cost, we kind of see, you know, all the moons aligning now. You know, we've talked all through this about hydrogen really around, I think, the fuel cell concept to produce electricity to power basically electric vehicles. Um, But there's also been, you know, Toyota and others have been talking about hydrogen combustion vehicles. Is that something that uh, Forcia Clean Mobility is also involved with? So we'd like to say we're agnostic to it because, you know, we're supplying hydrogen, whether it goes into an ice or a fuel cell, it doesn't, you know, affect us too much. There's there's very few technical changes that you got to make. So we're agnostic to that. 
So, so there will be some applications uh, where, where ICE potentially makes sense, you know, particularly in applications where, you know, a zero emission target isn't, you know, part of policy or mandated, uh, different footprint considerations. So, so there will be places, uh, I think, for ICE and fuel cell combined. But I think that for us, we're agnostic. We, we you know, we want to make hydrogen. We'll supply either one. All right. Tarek Abdelbasit, Chief Engineer, Hydrogen Storage Systems for Forcia Clean Mobility, part of Forvia. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure, Jamie. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on hydrogen technology, manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with the head of Amprius, which claims to have the most energy-dense, commercially available lithium-ion batteries in the world, and the head of Kensington Capital Acquisition Corp. about the two companies' recent SPAC merger. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.